Right, we're back with episode 52. Three. 53. Three. Of the Midnight Pod. You sure? And it's we're on, one. I don't know what wine it is, but two bottles of is Waitrose it, special. The, the Deers and Waitrose, which is was it, like seven quid. Really? <laughs> it's a Tillam UK Malbec from Argentina. Yeah. Argentina, that's topical. Who, who's going to win the World Cup? Argentina. Tina, hopefully. I'd like to see Argentina <laughs> win it. I don't like the, well, I don't not like the French, but. Don't like them, by the way. Mbappe's yeah. Bit, or the French. <laughs> I agree. Hopefully I agree. I'd like to see Messi win it. We're back with Connor Martin, who is the fucking richest man on Twitter. <laughs> um, came on the pod like nine months ago. He's soon to be running all my fulfillment. Um, he's also an investor in space goods. Um, and a scale, I feel like you've scaled a brand that maybe on Twitter people know about it, but it's way yeah. bigger than I realised and probably way bigger than a lot of people watching realise and I think I think we should talk about that today because people fucking hate agency shit Allegedly. they hate fulfillment shit yeah. Ollie co-host obviously now um, what's your role with the Essence Vote? I've come in as a fractional CMO for the brand oh well, the brand at the moment but the brand's plural hopefully through ne- well definitely through next year and through the next few years <clears throat> but at focus- the Jack group yeah, yeah but focus very much on Essence Vault in this in the last three or four months Got it moving. Got it cooking. Got it moving. You moving. fucking heard bankrupt us. Yeah. So Essence Vault, for context, anyone didn't see the previous episode, it's your brand you started, what, three years ago? Um, yeah, just before, well, I started it three years ago, but really only took off just before COVID. Well, just as COVID happened, actually. It was just me, one other employee, and then we, obviously, lockdown happened. I shot for a week. Um, because at that stage, we weren't really aware if online business could be open. Um, shot for a week. Got an Amazon parcel through the through the door, realised what the fuck am I doing? Shut, reopened, and I think we hired twenty people that first month, and then like five extra people every month since. Um, About hundred people in it now, probably somewhere yeah. around that ballpark. Because you do all stuff. your own manufacturing, but, yeah, everything from start to finish. Yeah. How do you even do that? Where'd you start with that? <laughs> is, is that how it started? Or, I know we've been yeah, over this we've, pre- we've in the previous episode, but yeah, when to I, track back. When I turned up at the the operation, it was pretty interesting. It's like it's like a chemical lab, like yeah. proper Breaking Bad. Three steps up from Breaking Bad. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. You know when Breaking, well, you know when he moves into the underneath the washing machine place. Yeah. That's definitely yeah. what it's like. Yeah. Um, but no, it's always been that we've um, sort of without giving too much away that the actual production the manufacturing part is, is hard but as, as soon as you have all the right suppliers and everything it's it's pretty very, it's very scalable it's only like a four or five step process have you always done that or was it ever in like China you- no it was always in, always in the UK always it was always in house um, from, from how the, the fuck do you go from not having a, a business in that space to just manufacturing perfume um, <clears throat> I think we went over this before but I, I've forgotten the story yeah I mean a lot of the our mixing process is still very manual, but we just employ more people rather than sort of upscale machinery and stuff. Um, it's a very big investment, which we we, ha- we actually have all of uh, manufacturing equipment now, but we still haven't had the chance to start using them because of how busy we've just continued to be. Because it takes a wee while. Like, say, for example, one machine will, will manufacture 2,000 um, items an hour, but we have over 500 SKUs and that machine can really only do three SKUs, in it, three, three SKUs a day. Um, so it's still all semi-automatic machines and, and just more people heavy. Yeah. When, when did you get involved? Uh, Feels like three years ago. Uh, July. Yeah. July. July in some capacity and then 
October more like what is in two months ago? Yeah, I got involved in July from like a service delivery and then transitioned to more of like an internal role in like early October, maybe late August. No, that's not that's the they aren't consecutive months. September, <laughs> September, yeah. September, October. Um, and then it's been foot on the gas since then, literally. And then we've got obviously still just in the UK, but big, big plans to diversify into like that brand specifically into US. Europe, Australia, Canada. Does that mean you only ship to the UK? You only run That's out of the really. UK? We, um, five percent of sales is in the is in the EU, but literally we've, we've just never had the chance to scale in Europe because just, of how um, yeah busy the UK was. I actually before all I started, I, I kind of thought the UK was at its maximum um, in terms of growth, and we were starting to look at Europe and, and how long he was. All how long he was. All <laughs> <laughs> I came bored and scrapped them plans. Yeah, um, I think it's. It's good offer. That's fundamentally, it's just a very good offer. Save money on something that's expensive, and have a good and have the same experience. So, we're very, we're still fairly. Spies in the kitchen coming back, coming to, coming at me. Um, it's fairly, it's fairly linear business at the moment, but there's so much more untapped potential in the UK, I think. And then obviously we start <laughs> start start adding some more regions and territories and horizontally scale, but. Um, yeah, and then obviously starting to bring in some of the brands, hopefully with with some of the cash flow and build a monster. So basically, three years old, twenty twenty, twenty one, twenty two. Yeah, yeah. How has growth looked since then? Um, I think over over the course of three I years, I want numbers. People like numbers. Uh, oh, I don't like numbers. <coughs> percentage numbers. You percentage, percentage numbers. Growth. I mean, over the course of three years, there's only been four months that we haven't been on an upward. <laughs> this dog's shagging me here. Um, there's only been three months, four months over the course of three years that we've ever not increased from the month before. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, since I got involved, we've grown about 15 to 20% a month consistently. More than that. More than that, probably. 153 up in oh, really? September, first month. So, so how big was November this year compared to last year? And, and 2020, in fact. 400%. So 403%. 403%. Oh, so it's sweet about it, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and we ran out of stock. <coughs> so we started the sale Thursday afternoon, Thursday evening, um, ran out of the bulk of our stock on Saturday morning. And we've been running with samples and 30 mils um, since Saturday. We only actually just restocked our 100 mils, which is obviously the, the big AOB product, um, Two days ago, yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. We could have done much bigger numbers. Oh, oh, sorry. We could have done. We could have done bigger <laughs> so numbers. Like get rid of this dog. I think get rid of him. Yeah. Unless he calms down. <laughs> you got two minutes to calm down. Probably start properly hurting you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we could have done bigger numbers for through November and December, I think. Um, but selling out isn't a bad thing. Creates demand. Creates. Well, it's not an ideal thing, but it's, uh, it's but. never ideal, but. He's got to try and spin it as a positive, and I think once we got that sorted, the, we'll be able to just we've got like the changes we made to get to to grow it through the last four months have been fairly simple changes. There's a lot of other things to do to continue that growth trajectory. There is going to come a point of diminishing returns, but I think there's a big there's there's loads of things that like LTV plays and things that we've not yeah. really tapped into to the full extent yet which are the real profit makers obviously over the long term what do you think has been the main the main thing that's grown it from 2020 um, a lot of restructuring um, simplification of all processes like for yeah. example um, 
emails we switched to plain text every email and like the ultimate chat scale works we're gonna we're changing that a little bit obviously we have flows and stuff but we're reworking all those at the moment I think like a systematic approach to content and media buying has been the big thing and turning on TikTok effectively that's been huge awareness play on there feeding through to Google and enhancing Facebook efficiency Um, Jamie who works for my agency but also does work on Tev has done something really really solid media buying work a really good feedback loop with creative you can get a lot of leverage out of you can go you can get to a very large revenue business if you have a good product just through good creative and media buying feedback loop and then you have to start adding other things onto that beyond that to get past some plateaus but I think that just enhancing and optimising that has had a massive impact there's been a lot of CRO work a lot of like offer playing around with offers playing around with conversion rate obviously if you can get a really high conversion rate which we've we've worked on quite a bit like it means that you've got a lot more leeway to play with on the front end because you know you know that you're going to be able to sling a lot of traffic through and it's going to convert um that's been a big like keeping things simple and then obviously putting processes in place that make things run efficiently repeatedly and just incrementally improve things over time has been the probably the big thing um interested to see if I think we can replicate it across every market as well that's the plan is to create something that is we can just duplicate into other brands and sort of become like a privatised hot group yeah um, without the sort of pain of a massive shareholder base you know keep it very simplistic yeah um, if we're taking on um, finance <coughs> it's it's a small group of people um, so we don't have we don't become that whole sort of you know, if you want to put it in live, it has to go through three layers of approval and that sort of thing. If yeah. if we can create a sort of group that's very fast reacting, um, especially to product trends and stuff, we we can we can go ten x twenty x. Do you think you can build loads of brands and be successful with the same processes, or do you think it is ultimately dependent on the product and that brand, and it might be harder to scale like a new one? I know you've got a new one you're working on. Yeah, I think. I think uh, Tev, the Essence Faults, a very good offer, as as I just said, which makes it a lot easier than a brand that's got higher about like higher about like that's a really strong offer. So replicate using this exact same formula on a brand that isn't isn't as strong an offer, it, like without changing anything won't work. But you can still put like fundamental processes and systems that are repeatable across brands like that media buying buying system of content feedback that's going to be the same across every brand the way that you do retention is going to be fundamentally similar across every brand some brands may lend themselves to community some brands might not so there's still elements you're going to change but there's a lot of repeatable systems and processes you can put in place um the brand itself the position in the product is obviously the variable but i think it's spotting the right opportunities in that like almost reverse engineering there's one brand that we're working on at the moment which I think is going to fly which is kind of uh, I'm not going to give it away but um, that's in a niche that's passionate. rainbow dust rip on her yeah, yeah it's just space goods 2.0 <laughs> um, yeah. earth goods you're just reading <laughs> the fucking monthly report putting more, <laughs> money, putting more money behind just it scheme. just game over <laughs> um, no it's like the, the one of the ones it's like yeah, strong branding in a in a in a niche that lends itself to good content and community, passionate, um, 
subscription based uh, yeah like there's some it's spotting the right it's, all, it's spotting the right opportunities if you can't just rip brands with no thought process behind them because they're not going to work I feel like that's what I tried in the a past. lot of people rip brands I was talking to someone the other day about like a lot of people launch brands with what I'd now consider like the minimum barrier to entry like beauty is yeah. a good example like you might have really nice branding eco-friendly vegan cruelty free like that used to be like enough to have <coughs> success whereas now that feels like the flaw and you have to have like a like you have to have a USP or something that really distinguishes you from other people because that's just like the barrier to entry is is increasing and moving like the the goalposts are moving in terms of what gets resonance and what gets people purchasing and I think it's it's important to consider that and not just kind of launch things willy nilly and think that it's going to work like we're trying to build it where every brand is self sustaining beyond like a, a three to six month period because if if not like we don't want to be in a situation where like Tev just funds a load of yeah. other brands because then you've not really got a, a grip. A you've group. just got a you just got like loss maker. Yeah, yeah. Where's the logic in hypothetically building a group of say ten brands compared to just focusing on Tev and getting it to a billion in revenue? I think like, broadly speaking, I think in terms of any any brand, there's going to be um, limits on how, on how far you can grow the life cycle of the brand. Um, and the problem, the legal problems behind any brand, um, mm. you know, like anything can happen. Realistically, you know, let's look at the big designer brands now that are on the going into the floor now that, that you would never have thought six months ago that mm. them, you know, that Balenciaga was going to hit the dirt. Um, but so, so that's the sort of thought process behind it. If we can spread the sort of negativity amongst the a group of successful brands. You've ultimately got a, a larger. You've ultimately got a larger cash flow because not none of the yeah. brand or the group doesn't distinguish itself on summer months or winter months. Um, yeah, help me out. I also think we're in a nice position with that business that like it's fairly simple. It's growing really rapidly. It's giving us the cash flow to build a team that can then manage that without me or you needing to spend any time on it. And then have then running another brand through that team. It's like the idea is build an internal infrastructure that can support multiple brands without jeopardizing the growth of another one, which I think is very doable. Like Tev is, has grown pretty rapidly with a very small marketing team. We can use the cash to hire a bigger marketing team. Then when we plug in another brand, it doesn't jeopardize the growth rate of that. And then it diversifies through more brands. And then it also increases the enterprise value of the group as a whole. Because a, a group of 10 brands is inherently way more valuable as an asset to someone if they're all self-sustaining they're all and, you can, and you've proved and you can, not even just the brands like the, if you can prove that you've got a repeatable process to launch brands yeah. the enterprise value of that of that of that organisation yeah. is massive because you can it's just it's just a massively attractive proposition for someone to come in and buy that was always my vision that's why I had two bro. I used to yeah. call it Infinity 85 group I was it's, just too fucking stupid to do it it's just like yeah and you just did it without like a, and now I've decided I sleep better at night with one brand yeah, but, that, but you could run multiple brands as long as you build the operations where you're not the one one running multiple brands. Yeah. Like you need to get to not a place so where you have like a team which is structured correctly, running yeah. one brand, and then and don't structure two brands under the same limited company. Yeah, that's, <laughs> well, it depends. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm sure you're shameless. Still recovering yeah. from that emotionally, um, um, and, yeah. and, and as well as that, like offers do run steel. So if the brand doesn't com- continue to to make the right steps, you know, like. like we're being copied by directly copied by four or five brands already, um, straight off the bat, and 
and they're um, obviously growing well, but they're growing off the sort of stuff that we implemented six, yeah. 12, 24 months ago. Um, so all it takes is for us to, to take our eye off the ball or chip up on one or two one or two ideas, and then we're sort of in line with them competitors. Um, right now we're, we're lucky and we're thankful that we are so far ahead of them, but that's, you know, that can change. So the diversification obviously helps that. How did you come up with the concepts initially? Was it like, did you test a bunch of things or, or was it like you just started and it worked? Um, I've always I've always loved perfume. Um, thinking back at school, I was always that twat that stunk of dupe. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 or around one million. Yeah, a million men. Dupe and CK1. I used to open up the screw top of the CK1 and yeah, like yeah. mix dupe <laughs> in it. Um, and create it my own. Um, That's some gangster shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then obviously forgot about it for a while. You know, um, broke as... Um, and yeah, just sort of came to the conclusion that that's what I was interested in, so let's just do it. I never, when I started it, it was never the intention of turning it into a business. I just wanted to make it for myself. Um, and then realized um, realized that there was, you know, if I'm having this problem, other people are, and, and that was it. Kept going from there. Um, done it at markets for six months. Um, obviously touched on the first part, but done markets for six months. Um, didn't know that outside of big brands you could actually run an e-com brand um, and then so detailed compared to now it's so, like the uh, ultimate the ultimate should, irony yeah. if anyone if, if if you're familiar with web archives have you ever oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, on the, go on the web archives and slap Essence in and look at Cotter's first Shopify website oh my god I think it's pretty shit now so it must have been really bad <laughs> you haven't seen that prestige you haven't seen that conversion rate chief yeah. <laughs> I, know, I probably care too much about what it looks like functional is what it is um, um, yeah yeah, yeah. Have a look at the web archive and look at what Connor put together. It's a, it's a good one. I find that in, I find that website really interesting. Just looking back at like Uber's first website. I got the best birthday present ever for Fred last year. Fred, founder of Sanucci, and he nearly cried when I gave it to him. I probably, probably shouldn't even tell this story. I got him a web archive, framed picture with the first ever Sanucci website in twenty sixteen or something, That's seventeen, sick. with a nice handwritten note on the back, and it's just, what do you get, the man? It has everything. <laughs> Please don't get that from me. Yeah. 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 Something that sparks feelings. If I bought and it was him, like, that, be going and the message was like, "Look how far you've come." But yeah, yeah, yeah. Ours it's cool. Ours was cool. Just everyone's. Uh, it's all. I think. I've, I think the saying is like, if if you're not like ashamed yeah. of the first website you put up, you're doing something wrong. Yeah, I'll even look at Space Good six months ago. It looked, yeah. it looked different. Yeah, like you should always. Yeah, go I've faster. Always, I just realised I didn't put the actual lighting on for this episode it's dark should we pause briefly and yeah. put that light on I'm wearing a dirty jumper and I haven't had a trim in like three weeks it's all good a bit, we're just raw around here aren't we just straight in this is the fucking goblin mode flat you know prior to this podcast I hadn't seen a person since the last podcast <laughs> I, just, I haven't spoke to a person since in person for a week <laughs> I haven't seen anyone apart from at the gym which has only been well yeah the, the, the gym and CrossFit that's how fucking True just goblin mode I've been in the past few weeks Q4. If that isn't a good sign for investors I don't know what is <laughs> just, oh, Christ I'm all I've been doing is fucking speaking to investors just, just give me two million quid and fuck off <laughs> um, what's it like talking to investors on a on the reg I suppose you can't <laughs> I mean no I actually quite enjoy it because yeah. it's I mean I really need to get out more and speak to more people but yeah, it's quite interesting. I mean, 
it's different speaking to angel investors, I spoke to loads of angel investors, some of which are giving me money, which is great. And then a load of just VC funds and shit. And it's a sim, I mean, I think I'm quite good at it because I'm just no fluff. I just say the yeah. truth. Like it's like two parts of it. There's the story and then there's the business. And then the, I guess there's the vision as well. It's kind of like three parts of it. Yeah. So I just fucking talk about how I fucked up in the past, which is actually a massive plus. For, yeah. for them I think I think next time I said that on on his podcast about so I just say I've done this before yeah. Yeah. I fucked up the last one but I've gone again this is what I'm trying to do here's what we've proven in the first seven months here's my vision for the next five years basically that's kind of the conversation and then it's an interesting it's good feedback loop as well like we're doing it with the app at the moment trying to raise money and it's just like interesting first one we did they were like you, you need to have more numbers in here like your projections are shite basically and I was like yeah. that's great feedback cheers <laughs> like these two guys worth 100 mil plus just like interesting to get feedback on your idea interesting for them to give a they always give good like tangible insights who's the maddest investor you spoke to as a person if you could obviously don't, don't need to have a name person I'm trying to think probably some bloke that is investing and was he's probably not watching this but apparently he's some billionaire I mean <laughs> probably is I don't know for a fact but he, he invested in Alex's business Content Co yeah a few times and he put me in touch with him we had one call he agreed to invest then we met in person and then we started chatting about cars like you just got, got to find common ground I mean I, I didn't know he's not a known person just like it's interesting there's there's a lot of private money out there just, yeah. just, you just got to Network. get in the room and then spark a connection mm-hmm. same with anything really it's like dating but slightly different yeah it's funny when people ask you for tips on how to network it's just like have yeah. something to give to them it's like funny, not, yeah, because I, I would, I would even go as far as that's not even that. You just need to show up, because like, yeah. I'm shy at networking and I absolutely hate it. But from the few times that I've done it, like I met you, you and Joe, yeah, um, yeah I met other people. You know, Nick Shackleford's um, geek out. Just become a valuable person and then go network is a lot easier. Yeah. It's much harder when you don't have that. Just got to have a story in it as well. I think, I think the thing I've done well with my inverted commas personal brand is because it's not a personal brand; it's just me. Yeah. and it, there's no agenda I really should have more of an agenda so I could fucking make money from it which would be insane but I don't know I just think you can't, no one's really got any dirt on me because I just self-deprecate every single episode <laughs> yeah like I've already said it yes I'm a soppy romantic cunt yes my last business fucked up yes I'm not as rich as half the dons on Twitter but it just is the truth and I think yeah people just buy into that in it it's evident when people are fronting it's funny because you, you look at Twitter and, you, and everyone's saying the same thing it's like, I, mean, oh, I tweeted about this the other day didn't yeah. I that's where you got a lot of engagement because it like, touched the nerve talk about fucking shit instead yeah. people care just as much about that yeah yeah it's, it's like LinkedIn isn't it like LinkedIn's just a people can just see virtue signaling a mile off can't they like it's, just be yourself but it's actually quite rare for people just be themselves these days because everyone's trying to be another version of some perceived version of someone else and like the irony is no one actually fucking has any backbone because they don't stand for anything they don't have their own opinions on things yeah. it's like a level of vulnerability I guess that people aren't yeah it's like everyone on Twitter now they fucking have to live in Dubai everything they talk about is based or whatever that fucking term oh, is I hear that. what does it even mean like everyone like <laughs> hates women and shit like you have to eat raw fucking liver or something but do you know what I mean there's yeah, that like bollocks. clique yeah, just, everyone like, jumps on it it's like fucking hell just have your own opinion on something um, but yeah 
Yeah. I can't believe that Livers King story. It's so funny. Like, like, how, like, how, how, how did people not think he was dosed? Was it actually his, proof? Uh-huh. Yeah, he's he done, he's done sent like, an email with a with a breakdown of what what he was dosing. Oh, so that got leaked? Yeah, yeah. It was like he was on loads. It's like like it's just like people just don't. It's like look at him. I is this yeah. is this level of like lack of self like like common sense like look at the state of him mm. he's, there's no way yeah. he's not roided off his tits <laughs> like, yeah. he's absolutely wham it's just like yeah, yeah that was funny um, it's funny fucking hell yeah getting in shape's hard unless you run every day that's why I'm trying to keep you. up the running that's why I've quietly entered the next London marathon but I wasn't going to announce it because I don't know if I'm going to do it yet but do you want to do one like in New York or something yeah, yeah maybe maybe you need to do an I haven't decided if I can be bothered being fit enough yet because it's fucking difficult <laughs> you need to go full Goggins and well, do we, we all just go over to New York and do the New York Marathon yeah oh. <laughs> we finished an hour and a half sub five <laughs> sub five, five hours. The sub five yeah. challenge um, I wanted to I, I wanted to come back to Essence will ask you a question about prior to obviously since obviously I know the story since we met you Prior to that, did did you ever bring consider bringing other people into the business from an investor capacity, from a team capacity? Like, um, I guess what basically what I've done with you. Have you ever, did you ever did you ever th- consider any like macro shifts in setup? Um, no, uh, trust's a big thing for me. Um, yeah, I have to trust that person to to a big extent before letting them anywhere near sort of. Um, it, yeah, like even, baby so to speak um, even with us it was a chip away process oh yeah it was yeah um, and like we worked on an agency aspect before yeah even coming near Tev and uh, it was yeah because we, we went and seen a skin first and then over yeah. Tev um, but yeah I've just been burnt with burnt by agencies in the past um, yeah even even going back to my, my dad you know he'd always say no make sure you own everything yourself and and that sort of thing because you know you're at someone else's mercy which is you know, to an extent, why you would get into business in the first place. So why would we want to, why would I want to give that up? Yeah. Um, and obviously, I wouldn't say being proven wrong, bringing you on board, but it's, you know, there's some stuff we disagree on and you yeah, just... Yeah, it's productive to have, yeah. it's productive to have conflicts. Like you want people who are going to challenge you. Like even you get that. I'm obviously seeing that in the WhatsApp group. People push back. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's, it's productive. That's what you want people there. You don't want yes men around you. You want people there to be like, "This is we need this, or we, we need these numbers, or like, you shouldn't be doing this, or you should be yeah. doing this, or your idea is shit." Or it's not like it's, again, it's not the person who's calling your idea shit isn't also right, but it's like it's worth having that discussion. But it's a balance, yeah. And it's a balance about bringing them in at the right point, I think. So were you just were you running Facebook before from sort? We ran TikTok initially, and then convinced him to give us Facebook. So we were running all the paid. How did you meet originally? <laughs> in a, I feel in like everyone fucking knows in everyone. A fucking, but it was in, a in a spoons on, in, in Dubai. In a, or, no, 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 in we, Manchester. Yeah, I did a tweet saying anyone going geek out Dubai, and then he replied saying yes. And I was like, "You flying from Manchester Airport?" And we met over a crisp Heineken and a full English. Really? <laughs> in, in a spoons just before we got on the plane. A cold full English as well. You sit next. He, next he was, no, he was on first class, obviously. And we, <laughs> we, we were in economy. <laughs> just like that's when he knew he was hired. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I went out to there, and then obviously just connected since then. Yeah, um, worked on the skincare brand first, and then Tev, and then obviously where we are now. 
Yeah. Um, so is it two brands currently? There's, With there's, a third pending? No, there's... Um, there's three and two pending. Three three runs currently, yeah, two pending with the vision of probably doing more next year. My brain just doesn't work like that. I've got all the <laughs> ideas, but I just yeah. can't exist with more than one. It doesn't, yeah. mine doesn't really, but it's like, I, I can't, well, yeah, like again, it's like I'm not going to run them all, or we're not going to run them all. Like, there's going to be a team that runs them. There's going to be people who, have, are own, who own certain OKRs, certain KPIs, certain responsibility. Like giving people responsibility is key, a massive key. Like giving people ownership of specific metrics, giving people ownership of both for their fulfillment and for the progression of the business. Like, like it's one of them. Like if if we if we didn't and we just thought right, actually, you know, the essence of it is doing very well. We can just focus on that. We'd never give up responsibility because there'd be no reason to give up responsibility. But if we're creating these other brands, our focus has to be on them, which forces us to let other people do things for. You know, in the essence vault. Um, so it's a, mm. isn't nice at the time and it can cause hiccups, which it has in Q4. Um, but it, it's, it's went very well after dinner with them, you know. So out of like the, you said 100 people? Um, yeah, well, well, including agency staff, now we're up to about 145. Is the majority of that like production? Um, yeah, I would say. Slash fulfillment. Yeah, yeah, talking about out of that 145, probably 110. 30? Only 110, yeah. 100, somewhere between 110 and 130. We've not got a massive marketing team at the moment. I was pretty actively pursuing bringing that in at the moment, like in transitioning away from. And are you still working with agency, or are you just running it yourself? We we are still working with agency, and we always will work with. I, I fundamentally believe some roles in the econ brand are better fulfilled by agencies yeah. than yeah, so the internal I, staff. Because so they get view on other brands. Paid ads is a prime example. I think it's good to have a head of performance in internally who maybe for, for us I would like to have a head of performance who manages the brand all of the brands but then maybe the brands are run by agencies or external staff because like you say like having cross-sectional data from a from like five or six accounts at a similar scale is invaluable for like seasonality even just like creative trends and like yeah. it's really hard if you're just in in the in the trenches of like one or two businesses within it, specific verticals it's similar taking um nuggets from Twitter usually when, when a nugget goes on Twitter it's actually on the way out so if you've got an agency working on, on yeah. other brands you're getting that sort of nugget two months before it reaches Twitter you know yeah I'm trying to think what else would be fundamentally better served outside it really depends I think like stuff like I think retention is better internal long term because you want someone who lives and breathes the community and the message and the brand so it's like better I think like post post put like emails sms and community builds because basically like crm is is in, in my opinion better yeah. internal like obviously that's a bit of a conflict of interest because we do email marketing as an agency but like that is how i would move a brand long term because you want someone who's always working on your messaging always working on that retention play because retention is bigger than just sending a few emails it's like how you nurture someone to being like an advocate for your brand over time and it's funny because I, I uh, up until very recently I still done all of the plain text emails myself and like if you've seen some of the replies like like what our list is maybe 500,000 people mm. you'll get maybe every email a thousand people thinking that they are actually I've sent them a direct email to them and like and they're replying like even to the point where people tell me what they're having for dinner like it's fucking so insane yeah. and the odd time I actually do go in and reply to that email again just to keep it keep the the thought in their head yeah. extend that LTV yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So, like, that's a function that I think is better done internally. I don't know what else. What would you say? Well, yeah, it's funny because, like, all these fucking investors and that, the, one of the first questions says, how big is your team? I'm like, well, it's like five freelancers and me. Because in my head, I feel like you should be able to get to a million a year per person in, in DTC. However, having said that, I'm saying like five people, but yeah, there's actually like five people in that agency, which I'm, which I'm counting as one. The supplier is effectively a person, but because of the way it's set up, it's kind of an agency. Like they do the product development for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then like with a 3PL, I guess that would be a person or two, a few people. So it's not quite five people, it's probably more like 10. And then obviously I'm not at a million per person yet, but I think you could get there. I'd say a, a good one is, is keeping them, I think it's, it's supposed to, the, the actual target is keeping um, your wage bill about 20% of your your actual sales where we're sitting about 8% but yeah 20% seems pretty high yeah that's what 8% I think that's what she was about like 10% for team broadly Is well I mean what do I know but that's depends what I would how, say. again it depends what your team yeah it depends what your sales yeah, are if, it's a, if it's a service business way higher for an econ brand specifically it depends what you it depends on a lot it depends on how fast you're growing uh, it depends on like what you, what what your team's doing versus what external contracts are doing um how efficient the team are like I think you can get a team of five killers who can build a brand to an absolute ridiculous level with a bit of external help. Like five people always working on one brand. Would I know, like if I if I pulled five, our five best staff from the agency and we launched a brand, we do. I reckon we could do some damage. Um, but it's just because I know, like you know, that they're absolute killers and the A players. Yeah, honestly, I'm literally retarded at hiring. So, like the three people. So. The whole team is me, Simon, the finance guy, Arslan, the agency, Lucy, Florian, and Brad. And those three, I feel like they're all ridiculously good. Like you, you know Lucy now as well a bit. Yeah. But I couldn't fucking run the business without her. I couldn't run the business without Florian, who does all the customer service and just bullshit that I just don't want to deal with. And then Brad's the most creative genius I've ever worked with ever in the history of people. And he's probably going to get loads of inquiries now. Is that but, so he does all the movies Indigo? and shit. Indigo, yeah. Yeah, yeah he's yeah, really he's good. He's fucking genius. Really like, good. But I'm, they've all either come to me or I've met them through a friend like, over time. I've never hired, I've never hired someone, co- I mean, I've not really hired that many people, but like, I, I'm shy away from it. You are just, challenged when it comes to hiring. I don't know what it is <laughs> though. I don't know it's definitely a form of autism. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just, again, it comes down to the trust aspect. You just either become over-trusting too easy or you just don't trust enough um, to the point where you don't give them responsibilities because you still want to do it yourself or yeah. vice versa you want to give them responsibilities and they're maybe not the right fit for the for the brand um, I think one of our big hires we hopefully we have it already in place but is a head of recruitment because like although that's another wage it's worth a lot it's more damaging to have a wrong person in that Definitely. job than have a good person in that job in theory because you know um a few bad hires can completely stop a brand or a service, as I know firsthand. So that's why I would rather have someone in place where they're making sure that that's the right person. And it's, it's a, I've got the third party choice at the end of, you know, she comes and says, right, Connor, there's four absolute, you know, top notch from the job description you've given me. These are five, four or five people that I would hire. And then I pick the, the one I think out of that. So it's, and that drops the chance of, it becoming a problem you know um. I'm a big fan of poaching people as well like <laughs> like fundamentally the best people for a job usually have a job yeah like, <laughs> like just 
if you, if we were going to hire it, like we're currently trying to hire a head of strategy and I, I already know the person I want to poach for it and I know that she'd be a good fit for it because she's doing the job for another company and she's doing a job for another company that we're trying to we're trying to we're trying to replicate the success I think there's of. an element though of like because I've always thought like is there some kid in fucking Botswana that's better than Ronaldo but he never got never got taken down to football practice when he was five do you know what I mean <laughs> yeah, so is yeah, there yeah. an element of that with, with jobs I guess there is but because but then again the same, I mean? the same thing if they've, got, is, so, they've already been interviewed by a good company if you poach them haven't they yeah yeah they've, they've, already, they've, already, they've already jumped through hoops and it's also like yeah like you, you know if they're in a certain job and if they're they're, they're, they're also like they're usually they must be doing well in the job otherwise they wouldn't be there especially if it's just like a, a slightly senior position um, it's a double-edged sword because that person's going to be a lot more expensive than the, yeah. the kid from Botswana, but he's going to need trained <laughs> yeah. for two or three months. So yeah. it's yeah. it's going to cost you either way. Um, How did you go about poaching them? We built a really good system. Well, well I'm not actually put this as a practice for Connor, but people can steal this. Um, we built like a system through the agency where you'd and we 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 can run, you can run this with one virtual assistant. You profile the job you want. You profile the companies that they might be working at based off that job profile you want. Say you want a media buyer, like a senior media buyer for an agency. Like you write down like what does that job look like? What other companies, like what other agencies would they be working for? And then you reach out to them on LinkedIn and be like, oh, "We're looking for this job. Do you?" But then you, you we phrase it in a way of being like, "Is there anyone in your network who might be interested in this job?" So we send that. And then that kind of leaves the door ajar for them to say they're interested in it or refer us to someone else that they know. Because they, if they're usually quite a high-performance person, they'll know someone else who's good. Um, and then off the back of that, we'll send them like a Loom video that looks like it's personalised, but it isn't. So we, we word the first three, four seconds as if we'd just recorded it. Send them that and then basically push them from that through the same hiring process we'd use for anybody else. But yeah, so like profile the job, cherry pick the companies that they might already working at so for that you pick another like 100 big e-com agencies in the UK and then basically just go after the staff on LinkedIn mm. um, we don't do that for Saw because we I need to get used to hire people for me in the future can't do it yeah. for Saw because he just gave it away <laughs> yeah we don't do it for Saw because we hire and train everybody for that business we hire everybody with no, we, with no prior experience we hire them off culture fit and then train them to the point of proficiency but for the other agency and for the Essence Fall, it's very different. We're playing at a different... Our goals for those businesses are different, so we would probably... We would use that system. Um, but that will work if you apply it. I can send people it if they ask me. If they want to DM me for it, I'll send you the SOP for it. Um, but, like, we're, we're, yeah, like, a head of brand, I'd probably go poach a head of brand if we're going to hire one, which we probably will do. Things like that. Um senior hires more more so than like I think a media buyer you probably don't need to do that you could just hire and train someone if you're already pretty proficient in it which I already feel like I am I can teach someone that role but for something that's like a slightly senior position like a head of strategy or a head of brand like I'd want someone to come in and be like if you're going to pay them decent wage be ready to go mm. um, and bring cross learnings from other businesses it's really valuable to get someone who's worked in another big organisation and done that role I think because they can teach you a lot they can bring a lot of systems and processes with you, with them, a lot of best practices which you wouldn't have been aware of if you hadn't hired them. If that makes sense. Yeah. Honestly, I feel like the person I need at some point is just someone to run the fucking business. You, so need, you need an ops person. You need a COO, I yeah. think. Like someone who's going to manage hiring, team management, 
Because also that then reduces your cognitive load and allows you to focus on creativity. Cognitive load is one way of putting it. Cognitive yeah. load is such a thing. Like you should be minimizing the things you have to think like about. Like the only it. time of the day when I'm happy is well, when I get to fucking think about the next video we're doing, the next it, fucking product. But I spend we, 90% of my time miserable dealing with supply yeah, chain. Like, but you know what you should do? Instead of a CEO, we'll trying to manage fucking little things. And get a, an EA, like a proper EA. But and yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's that's changed. That's yeah, that's, that's probably good. been the apart from Ollie. That's probably been my biggest button pusher. I think I think cognitive. Lucy could do that. She keeps asking me. Do yeah, you should get uh, it to I'm do it. I, I just get massive imposter syndrome also when it when it comes to hiring people. Why? So just I feel like I'm not good enough to have someone fucking better than me working for me. Well, that's yeah, that's a flaw. Like massively. Yeah, you need to get out of that mindset. I, I would honestly hire. I for still that just role. default to like the fucking kid on the laptop designing shit. Like you're, you're, that's, the, that's the identity I still have. You're, you're like even though I believe I can build this massive brand. Well, yeah, you can, yeah. Well, but that's but that's like a side of where you should position yourself in a business. Like we we've actually had this issue in a, in the agency. Like we have creative strategists. And our service delivery quality started to fall because they weren't spending enough time being creative because they ended up, for some reason, they were picking up loads of admin tasks, like sending contracts to creators, which is not in their wheelhouse. Yeah. When we stripped that out and they focused solely on being creative and coming up with briefs, this, the quality of content in the last like two months exponentially increased. So like when I say cognitive load, it's like, you should be reducing the things you want you need to think about on a daily basis and focusing your attention only on the things that move the needle massively or you're best suited to do yeah, so like so true. bring in someone to manage the ops so they take things off your plate you don't even have to think about anything so i got to a point with saw where i was having to like i was like oh how are these all all these accounts doing like i haven't I haven't got a pulse so we built a dashboard where i could just go in and see like a scored rating of performance and like that's means that I don't have to think about that anymore. It, it's not something I have to like have yeah, on my mind, which is like when you free up that capacity to think and that energy, you can then shift it into where you're good at. So you should focus on like bringing someone on who is going to take so much off your plate so you can be even more creative than you've been now and focus your time yeah, on Yeah, so I do think that's what I'm best at. I'm this weird sort of hybrid where I'm not the starving artist type, so I've never been that. Mm. But I'm definitely like better at the creative stuff than most founders. But I've just like begrudgingly sort of figured out the business side to an extent, yeah. even though some bits I'm still retarded with. Because yeah, like I sit in this limbo where I'm like, I'm not quite Brad because I don't want to just be the creative because I want to fucking make loads of money and build a cool brand. But I also don't, I don't want to be a CEO ever. Yeah, but that's like, you're like a. I think the main part is just a founder. Yeah, like a founder, founder. a founder is like vision vision and strategy and that's what that yeah. is it's like creative vision and strategy so like you should focus on just doing that and then everything else should be out like pushed to someone else yeah like I agree like I, I learned it the hard way you need to enjoy everything you're doing so the job of a CEO is should be redefined to do everything that you like and outsource the stuff that you um, either hate or you're not good at or more so you hate because naturally you will be more creative once you sort of have a bit of fun with what you're doing and if you are 90% of the time if you are just sort of disinterested or sort of begrudgingly doing it then that doesn't mean that you have to be good at it someone else can be good at it for you you know I think cognitive load is a really good way of looking at it like, cognitive load just, like, no, just think just think about less based. stuff yeah just think it just like when I'm in the sauna for example which I go to pretty much every day 
Less I get mad ideas yeah, and yeah. I've actually got a habit now of I'll make sure I'm wearing my Apple Watch so I can take notes in the sauna in case I forget them Yeah, and then I come back and I'm like fuck and I've no time to fucking work on them so like, try and gate like gating time to be creative and think is important and like by, the only way you do that is get things off your mind and have like less things to think about so you need a, you need an ops person who can serve that function who can take all of those like supply like the supplier stuff like do you really need to do that could they not report back to you on those calls could they not report back to you on like a weekly basis could they not like f even like obviously at different stages but from like a a paid media relationship like do you really need to be on like can you not just well you probably do receive like weekly report on everything but like how do you get further away from that how do you get people just reporting back to you on what you need to know and remove yourself from like the actual nitty-gritty of the decision making um, I think the yeah, and because your position should be vision and strategy, because that is like what you want to do in it. Like, yeah, you're similar to that. I feel like not not maybe not as creative, but like thanks. Yeah, he's just definitely like, a lot more profitable. He's <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot more. What you lack in creativity, you make up in cash. Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, like you're you're similar though. Like you're very good at ops and like product and product development um, and then I've come in obviously to help with the marketing and systems and processes yeah I mean it, it was yeah especially the last six months it's, it's been more I find myself not having to do as much mm. but more the stuff that I want to do which is what you should optimise around like what do you well, you don't build a business to for the business to own you and operate yeah. you do you build it to operate like you want to build it to operate like that. this time last year in Q, well, basically, um, we we ran into issues with our supplier. Um, literally got an email from uh, got an email from one of the machine suppliers saying that there was a there was um, a massive conference in Dubai with all of the manufacturers, and at three days' notice, I was like, right, I'm going to go off there for a week and mm -hmm. just get as many business contacts as I can. But last year, I would have wouldn't have been able to do it unless it was planned. Yeah, three or four months before that, I think. Which think, was massive for us. It knocked like it knocked our cogs down by like three yeah, percent, which is fucking huge. Um, yeah, in a, in a in a time where cogs were going up by six or seven percent. It's definitely not seven pounds, by the way. It's got to be fourteen. Seven then. Really? Yeah. I think I think that's a question of like self awareness, like and being like like I I what from an agency that? perspective, like, I I'm like fairly average at managing right. people. So I don't involve myself in that process because both it's something I don't really enjoy, but it's also a disservice to it's them. A if glass of wine, there. if oh, I yeah. do that, space goes brand up. Yeah, yeah, um, And I think a lot of founders, quite a lot of founders, lack self awareness. Like, it's definitely something you have to work on. Yeah, I think they're good at everything, which they're fundamentally not. I'm shit at almost everything. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a bet. That's just a bet. good at being a high risk cunt. But that's a bet. <laughs> that's a way better mentality to have than I'm good at everything. Yeah, way better. And I, I used to be that. I, we we used to do all of our own marketing, and I thought I was. I thought it was class. I thought it was better than every agency to ever do it. Um, and then Ollie came and determined that there was an extra fifty percent revenue out of the UK. <laughs> yeah, they're also the founders that when you work with them in any capacity, you're almost like working against them. Mm. It's like I'm not like if you're an, like from an agency perspective, it's like you get into. I don't really want to segue down the agency route because we keep getting hate. <laughs> for the agency but this is the anti-pod agency yeah um, sorry Ant 
the anti-agency point. It's like the, they're, the, they're the owners when it's like they don't ask productive questions. It's always like, why is this not working? It's rather than like, how can we make this work? Or like, like we're in this to, to like work with you to get the best results, not just to like burn your money. Yeah. Um, yeah, coming back to Ted for a second then. It's very profitable from what I hear. And I'm sure it fucking is. But... This makes me like share. This makes me sound like I share your net profits with. I know you do. You can't. No, you don't. Well, no, I'm just it's doing all right in it. I mean, I mean, I don't actually know where I've got that from. It's doing, it's doing, it's doing okay at the minute. Yeah, yeah. It hasn't been. Is that past. the sort of business you think you can you would ever try and get an exit for, or, or is it a cash cow business? Because mm. I don't know. Is I, it is it complicated with? It's imitation perfumes, right? Essentially, is is there difficulty there in terms of inspired you, by not imitations? Insp- well, inspired by yeah, allegedly. Um, no, like uh, I would never. I would you, never. Do you see you selling it? No, I don't. I, I don't. I just always. I, there's the. Obviously, you're worried about cash flow. Um, I think selling it would only satisfy me for so long. I think it would be, if I sold it and had that much free time in my hands, I would spend that money making the next Tev anyway and perhaps not working so I would yeah. prefer to have it um, you know and if it gets to the stage where it has to be toned down so be it but I don't I, at this stage I don't think I would ever sell I, I, from from my perspective looking inwards I wouldn't consider selling it now because we barely scratched the surface like we're just doing the UK and the numbers are already crazy so like like just take that and put it like there's so much growth opportunity like I feel like when you want to sell a business you want to sell it when it's growing but beyond the point of like where, where it starts to become a bit of a struggle to grow it or a bit of like a like you're not enjoying it as much or it's not easy to grow something it's funny because like off the back of Tev we've been able to grow a 3PL yeah. that can get prices cheaper than 90% of the UK 3, 3PLs um, we've been able to sponsored get sponsored by Jack small plug <laughs> there small plug um, we've been able to grow other brands um, at a stage where you know the level of cost to, to launch a new brand is relatively close to zero because we've already got the staff there um, you know we can take risks on that we can take risks on Tev we can take risks on other brands we learn a lot from it um, we've yeah. got access to a lot of um, our, our tech stack we get really good pricing on a lot of things Funny we get opportunities we get to contact you know founders of these tech stacks or tech companies um, and it, it gets us into different circles so, so unless I had another brand at the same level as Tev I would never consider selling it because you'd lose that sort of in yeah you know still built you still build it to sell I fundamentally think every business yeah. should be built to sell do you think that do you think the answer to that is because you've made enough cash to not for that not to be like I wouldn't I wouldn't say that I wouldn't say I've made enough cash um, but I've made you know like it, it, because it runs at a, a, a nice profit level mm. we can confidently look at other other avenues and not have to worry the same way you would do with an exit so it's you know? I, I view it as being a vehicle to a much bigger exit further down the line like it's, a, it's it allows us to make to build, it's, it's allowing us to build a team and, a, and an operation that could be sold for f- 10, 15 times what Tev alone could be sold if we got it right over a f- 10 year period. So you got Jack Group Equity on her? I actually haven't, no. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> um, I want to put two grand in. Yeah. <laughs> put my life savings into Jack um, Group. Like I fundamentally believe that we could, be, could, we could become bigger than the Hot Group because oh, I look at the Hot Group and, and think 
that they have done no pressure there fucking hell. <laughs> that they've done exactly I say that about could. myself with the fucking Infinity 85 idea yeah, like, I, I just kind of flopped it. I, I I love everything about the Hub Group, but if you look at even their websites, their their social medias, their marketing of all of their brands, they are just a duplicate of each other. Yeah, they are. Like they're the if you look at um, look fantastic and uh, protein, it's literally well, it's it's, the same it's, thing. It's all based on the they, same back end ingenuity. They're yeah, a bit like ingenuity, what I said. Yeah. Like they got they tried to sign me up for three PO. They, they got into the market when it when that barrier to entry I discussed earlier so much lower was was low. So they could launch these brands that are very very similar in different niches and meet like the minimum entry requirements and then just pump so much money into it that they yeah. just blew everybody out of the water. So we've got to approach it in a different way, but I almost think it's better to make something self-sustaining at a small scale. Because even if something, if we make brands that are self-sustaining at a small scale, then we could sell those, like you could you could split those brands off and sell those and then it's a cash injection to do bigger things. There's things like acquiring brands further down the line as well that we haven't really looked at. Um, yeah, I think there's a longer play that's more valuable than selling Tev. But as I said, I think you should always build things to sell because it the, makes the biggest, them operationally more efficient. The yeah, biggest barrier to entry in the DTC market is the fulfillment side of things yeah. uh, and the customer service back end, the marketing back end, and we have them. So we can now, you know, if we if we see a sort of um, sort of a new market arise that we like, we can sort of we can grow into it very quickly and not have that sort of upward ceiling of. Well, if it is a short-term trend, we can only make X on this because we'll be three months late to the party. We can do it there and then. Um, yeah, that's something I need to. We, we want to work on next early next year is that research yeah. to product development cycle because that's probably the biggest thing. If you can get on trends and you can spot, it's a bit like if you're trying to get into drop shipping, but yeah. but like we have the ability to do it straight to brand rather than drop ship. Yeah, I'd really like to do, like we were saying before, more product testing with with space goods. Yes, yeah. so it's great having one skew, but I'd like to be in a position where I could trial a new flavor or a yeah. new ingredient overnight. Like, yeah, if it you makes can, it way more scalable. Effectively, you want to get to a point with with if we're going to build this group where we can do the whole like if obviously dropshippers try and spot a trend, jump on the trend, and rip the. But product. then the fulfillment and experience is not scalable. Yeah. But, past, past like three months. But exactly, so you you, you we have that mm. infrastructure to make it where we can just test the product very quickly, move it to fulfillment. And then not have any of the problems that dropshippers would inquire, encounter with much better cash flow, much better infrastructure, and then just repeat that process um, with brands. Obviously, we don't want to do too much, but like just test, test, fail, test, scale. Like it's not not every product's going to hit. Not everything we do is going to hit. You like, just have to accept that. Q1's plans are product a product dev team and their equipment. Well, the equipment team first, and then the product dev team, and have four or five killers. Um, that might specialise in different things. You know, the one I've got eyed up at the minute is more from a like makeup and beauty background. I want to have one from like a supplement background and sort of just have them together, and just to the point where, you know, the problem with that is they're going to fucking realise that mushrooms are hot, and it's going to be conflicts of interest, no. and we're going to fall out. <laughs> nah, that, no. that, that, the that, essence mushroom, <laughs> the essence that, of mushroom. Yeah, yeah. we're doing the a mushroom bowl. We're doing a supplement brand, and that guy that I introduced you to tried to push me to do a mushroom supplement. I was like, I can't do it because he knows no. it's coming. <laughs> yeah, he did. It's yeah, the way. He did, we can, we can say right now that we'll never do a mushroom no, supplement. We can hold us to that. He, he pushed. Yeah, he did. His trend analysis was very clear that it was. It is coming. It is the wave. It's everywhere at the moment. Everywhere. It's like, like mushrooms. It's like got on Netflix, isn't it? Yeah, it's huge. Um, yeah, I think like you should build a business to sell. You should build, you read the book Built to Sell. Everyone, should, read everyone should read that book. So good. So good. Who's it by? I can't remember. 
Amazon affiliate link coming in the bio of this. <laughs> that's all. We're, that's how. That's our monetization here for this podcast <laughs> at this point. Just Amazon affiliate links for everything. Yeah, legit. Um, but it just makes you make less. Like, even if you if you look at like, there's so many tech companies that just are so just spend money on stupid shit. I think we discussed this in the yeah, episode. Twitter. Like, if you actually build things. To, efficiently and self-sustainingly from the very start you make so much better strategic decisions you don't just throw money at some stuff like it's just pointless shit that doesn't move the needle like it's pointless shit like, I don't I was going to name drop some company then but I'm not going to do it um, but yeah I think it's a better way to do things do you think it's possible to launch a new brand these days and be profitable from day one and if so what do you need to achieve that or, or is it kind of a because I guess yes this is a broader is. question because like my approach with the brand is at the minute I'm kind of in like scaling mode where it's like we could be profitable if we just didn't want to scale as quick because mm. just on subscribers it's like nearly 200 grand a month in recurring obviously yeah. that there's churn so if you stop running ads you wouldn't have subscribers yeah. in six months you'd have some but wouldn't have 200 grand you go first so, so my approach is trying to get to like a critical mass yeah. at least in like the next year and yeah. then we can fucking like strip the fat I think that makes sense when you've raised money as well which is why I'm like, go, raising more money yeah yeah raise but then but then like because the numbers add up on LCB's CAC basis exactly like you, you're playing this, you're playing the 12 to 18 month game where there's resi- like your profit comes from LTV over time it's like a SaaS business eventually yeah, you, get yeah. to, you get to a tipping point where and a, and a lot of SaaS companies don't reach that tipping point, to be honest. But like, you get to a tipping point where that profit and LTV comes through, so it, it like covers your marketing spend, and then you reach profitability. But that makes sense when you're raising money. I guess I think, you go first on the. I think being profitable from day one sort of coincides and runs parallel with the buyer entry. I think if it can be profitable from day one, there's a low buyer entry in yeah, general. Everything. Yeah. I think if you're not investing quite heavily in research and development with that idea, then someone else can copy it pretty quickly. Um, mm. Say, for example, skincare brand, you can launch a small white label brand um, and with them, 10,000 units, sell them all and, and be profitable straight away. But then so could you or so could you. But with yourself, like it's a very bespoke product in space goods where you know you might not be profitable from day one, but because you've got the personal brand, you can foresee profitability very soon, very, you know, very quickly. Um, but unless you had that, that I don't really... I wouldn't want to launch a brand that you can be profitable from day one. I think it's was, te- was Ted profitable from day one? Um, you came from a different foundation, I guess. It was, for, it probably, was, yeah. it was from a different foundation because it wasn't directly into T2C. It was markets first. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, That's mad you did fucking markets. Street markets, like proper. That's like some poppy shit. Yeah. <laughs> I think you can be profitable from day one depending on the the business so like example would be if you're drop shipping and then you pair that with TikTok organic like you've got no yes, ads going yeah. if you make the video so like the, and to answer your question yes you could do you could do like drop shipping then pair that with TikTok organic or Instagram organic, organic or like content marketing where it's Fraud. where like the only time yeah, investment I'll speak on, about that in a second where the only time investment on that marketing is your own input and therefore you don't have any outgoings other other than a few subscriptions and then you make money off good content so you can be profitable on day one I think in in your situations or in my situation like I wouldn't expect to be profitable on day one I wouldn't want to be either because 
you want to kind of spend enough on acquisition to get learnings and shit. I wouldn't want to be spending £10 a day on ads. It's pointless. That's <laughs> I'd rather, rather go at like 500 to a grand where you learn stuff and then like you lose money, but you get the learnings and then you get to the point of profit really yeah. quickly. And then, then you, you grow at a much faster rate. When I first left my job to to do Tev we were doing 20 pound 20 pound a day in ads yeah that was a few years ago no, it's no, possible but, to do that but as soon as we done that because we weren't getting the learnings of or aggressive scaling we then went from making enough to be profitable to no sales in like 10 days yeah. I shit myself you have to you have to spend when you start yeah, a brand, I, think you it's, I think it's almost impossible to start a, a brand where you buy when you own stock with like no money yeah you have to go in a decent you need like 10 20k at least yeah because you know in those early phases you're not phases fucking hell a bit Yorkshire then Um, (laughs) in those early phases you're paying as much for the learnings as you are for the sales like you have to learn about content you have to learn about your funnel you have to learn about like even like the product itself such a momentum thing isn't it with Sterling it gets you get momentum you get learnings then you just incrementally improve things over time Um, so I do think you can be profitable from day one, but it wouldn't be a way I'd operate. A bra- I, I think you can on a dropship. I don't think you can on a brand. I mean, we are actually one of the brands in very early stages is sort of geared to be able to be profitable from day one. Yeah. Um, but we're going to keep it a secret for now. But uh, the, the reason for that is the way we're going to set up the marketing. Though. That's, a, that's a, br- a product, as I said earlier, that lends itself to content marketing and, and building a list of content so that and we're going to build that list over a period of three to six months before we launch the product through really good content marketing but then obviously we're i'm not going to build that content myself because we've got the we're going to employ someone to do it so technically we're not going to be profitable from day one but we can build a a i think we can build a good enough content infrastructure to have like a hundred thousand subscribers so that when we launch the product we instantly get that sales throughput it's like influencers yeah yeah, yeah. Like if you've got Grace a following already, yeah. brand in millions. I'm, like, sh- I'm sure she spends ads, but like maybe previously. I think that's the way I would approach it. If I had no money trying to start an e-com business, I would pick a niche that lends itself to yeah. having really good content strategy, because then you can just put your time into making good content and building an audience through that content. Be that like blogs, good Instagram feeds, TikTok organic reposting funnel people to a website which has more of that content capture their lead information do that for six months build another big enough list and then launch a product off the back of that then you can get to profitability straight away Stop for i don't know what you said last what were you saying uh i can't remember do some co-hosting took a little pot. help me out took a little break there um, the tillamiku organic malbec tokyo's joined me over here for a for a chili looks worried oh he's on the move he's a wine connoisseur Finish this. He's another ship, look. Oh, he's drinking it. <laughs> I want to see him get loose. Yeah, it's really bad for dogs. You can't, you can't let him drink it. You can't pro- you, yeah, don't let him drink it. He's only licking his side. You can't process um, grapes. Yeah, grapes. Is that true? Grapes, yeah, grapes, grapes, kill, grapes are kill dogs. It's oh, it's it, just chocolate? It, no, grapes, because they can't process... Grapes the, in general? General, yeah. yeah. I used to feed them grapes. Oh, God. You always spit it out. It's because they can't... Hey... Grapes have the same effect on dogs as wine does on humans. They can't process the alcoholic thing in it. I don't know. I don't know enough about it, to be honest. Um, I can't remember what we were saying. We were talking about something, obviously. <laughs> It'd be a bit shit podcast if we weren't. It's a shit podcast anyway, but people listen to it. Where were we? Help me out. 
in this episode, you're an interesting middle ground because you're a co-host, but also involved in the business. Yeah, it's unique, isn't it? Um, if there's one thing you would change about this, what would it be? So now the guest is asking the questions. He's asking me questions. A desperate scene. God. Uh, oh, I don't know. I could see, uh, see the way he's, he's pausing. It's good to think about your answers. Uh, pay him less. <laughs> what would I change about it? Oh, I'd solve our, I'd solve our um, supply chain problems. Yeah. That would be nice. Um, I think if we could expedite a couple of hires having a head of brand would be really nice if we had one of those right now I don't I wouldn't change much about it I think the growth trajectory is ridiculously good like I'd be, be it would be stupid to wish for much more than what how, we're how, how much you plan on doing in 23 60 mil 60 yeah fucking hell Touchwood. I knew it was big I knew it was that big um, oh, Bosch that, <laughs> that Bosch <laughs> and, and how how are you going to get there compared to, to, to what you've done this year so the the last sort of my last three months have been focusing on um, ensuring that the US can go sort of unscathed so we've got um, our expedited shipping method um, which we're one of the first three brands in the UK to be able to ship stuff um, dangerous goods free um, so it's still basically chart so obviously perfumes dangerous goods has to be kept separate in an airplane but basically we're, we're being allowed to ship because we're shipping quite large quantities every day they're trying us to change the rules on dangerous goods so um, the rules at the minute is every, there has to be a dangerous goods certified engineer on every flight um, that okay, no. localised fulfilment no 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 well, it's, it's 6 one. Yeah. but that, this is like this is going to allow us to enter the market because of the mm. the price increases from the US market like our competitors over there are charging like $70 for a 100ml bottle whereas we're charging 25 quid. so we can sort of find a middle ground in price and still make up that that margin, we'll, but um, yeah, we'll do that. We'll do. I'm confident we'll do that. We'll get we'll get the, the UK. There's so much growth to get in the UK where we can get it to a point where it makes up a bulk of that. But we'll get. I think we'll get to America. So do you think you can get to 50 mil in the UK? Let me do the math. Yeah, probably not. Not quite that. No. Not may, maybe. I don't know. It's difficult to project next year. How I much think, I'd spend for 60 mil web next year? 10 to 50 well 15 to 20% MER That's only 15% of revenue yeah at those product margins probably yeah I don't really want to give too much I don't know if we're giving too much away I don't know no we're not but yeah it, the UK market definitely depends on how much our competitors rip us off um, yeah because it's like getting notoriously bad to the point where we are looking at um, legal options because um, like they're literally just taking our ads give them to incense and getting people to rip the ads word for word yeah but there's there's i don't think that's a worry like i was talking to a client it's not really a worry I was talking to the client the other day like if you're a, if you're a business that always has to go to other people's ads for inspiration you're fundamentally behind by like two or three months every time like you want to be the person who's leading with exceptional ideas and leading with i'm waiting for all the rips can't they all yeah, come they'll come. come you've had one on twitter i remember that guy yeah, um it's just like, so like such such an obvious rip he's probably watching the pod it's just like if <laughs> for you're inspiration yeah don't copy perfumes and like that's good enough to get you to a stage but it's not good enough for you to dominate a market like you're always going to be chasing it's always going to be it's fundamentally you've got to be, be seen as the first one in the space haven't you to be like the yeah. brand it's funny because we weren't we were we were the second to um to another brand um and you know we 
sort of overtook them quite quickly, but they raised their prices, um, like double their prices to the point where they were trying to be the, the luxury, luxury in a space where you're capped at prices based on other perfume brands, you know? So it's, it was a wee bit of a weird move, but um, like they're, they're definitely, obviously, they're, they're maybe playing like an LTV play in terms of description and stuff, but um, whereas we went for more of a LTV push with multiple purchases rather than just one purchase. Mm. Um, like our, our repurchase rate is, is like 65%, so we know our products are very, very good. Um, that's, gr- that's growing alarmingly fast as well. Which is why I think, like UK, we can get to some stupid numbers next year, and then we plug in the US, plug in a few other regions. I think sixty mils defo doable, just just through that, and maybe one one of the brand. Fifteen percent of our customers rebuy every month, um, yeah. and that's grown by just just like every single month. Every right? single yeah. they they uh, their LTV is twelve purchases a month. There's no year, subscription so. in place either. It's just like come to the website and buy again. Um, beautiful. Fuck yeah, yeah. Um, so. I think there's a lot of work to do, but like, if we can, I think there's, as I said before, there's so many places to still work on that will add massive. So value. can I put sixty mil in the title of this podcast to get more clicks? Of course, <laughs> yeah. Just you can hold me accountable. Allegedly, blow it. Yeah. Come, on, come on, with come on with some Shopify screenshots in a year's time. How big do you think it can be in ten years? Don't know. Hard uh, yeah, it's, it's a weird one because I, I never want. I never. I don't even like looking at the next twelve months. Like before, all I, I was purely month on month mm. um, and then hit that depression phase in January where our sales fall off a fucking cliff um, but uh, yeah, does like, that happen in January? Um, so last January was our first sort of because that we were very very high in terms mm. of year on year growth um, and then last January it sort of it did sort of plateau that last January February were the the only two months we were we haven't grew month on month I think like the, the thing I would say is like fundamentally it's a product that benefits from economic downturn yeah it's a it's a cost saving exercise like like how, how does that not benefit from people having less money just it just fundamentally does uh, uh, and like the, there's obviously going to be a subset of society at the top of levels that are never going to move away from the design of perfumes but that's not who we're going after we're going after those people who want to save 50 60 quid a month and that's and like I mean, do people get through a perfume a month some I buy are. a fucking fancy aftershave. It lasts me two years. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the concept. But when it costs you less, you just slap it on. Yeah, like, is, is that fine? Yeah, yeah, true. It's like you just a bit more loose with it, aren't you? So I like, I think fundamentally it, it, it benefits from an economic downturn. It benefits from people having less money because it's a. Uh, and then once people have had a good experience with it, it's very hard to then go back to paying more for something that you've had the same experience for less. But like I, I, I don't even try and I try and deter away from that and. And, and just provide like our I generally believe our perfumes are amongst the best in the world at any price have you yeah. got an Aqua de Palma one um, inspired, inspired by because yeah. my favourite right now is I mean I, I've never I've never found the perfume for me I always like try a new one but one I liked in summer was Aqua de Palma forgotten the fucking variant yeah. but have you got any of those yeah, maybe we do a Space Goods collab Space Goods collab <laughs> and I fucking like that one because every time I smell it reminds me of this moment in summer with a certain someone <laughs> you romantic cunt yeah. sense, sense the, the thing it, it's so memory. mad it's yeah. mad I literally was in the lift I don't know fucking two months ago here and someone was wearing my ex-girlfriend's perfume mm. and I was like wow I, I really that got, shit brings you to like a different fucking that's planet a, that's a campaign I want to do this year this year coming. I, I think smell is the most associative it is. sense or whatever 
perfume. But you smell a perfume and, it, and you just bring like brings I, you back I, to that I, person. I think, and someone might steal this, but I think a great someone we know might steal this. Um, I think a great, a great like. I think a great campaign would be like something around like memories, like make 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 yourself memorable, basically through a scent. No, they'll just be until after we've done it. So sorry. yeah, but I think that'd be a really good like big campaign to do through a certain part of the year. I don't know when, um, maybe Valentine's Day. So this like. brought me on to a good point actually. If, if you're going to sixty mil or whatever, like, have you done any brand marketing yet? Has it all been performance marketing? All it's all direct. Um, Moy Zali spoke about this. I actually agree. He said like until you get to ten mil, you should just be yeah performance marketing it's funny because like I think until you get to 10 mil your word of mouth is brand marketing you know like it's only if you have good products yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. your focus for that period should be exp- providing an extremely good experience and finding an acquisition channel that works yeah and those two things alone because you get the word of mouth benefits of providing a really good experience which is brand and then have an acquisition channel that you can pour money down Profitably, I would argue that TikTok, when the ads manager wasn't as strong as it was now, was a brand yeah. exercise because of how cheap the CPMs were. Like we were getting like sixty-five p CPMs yeah, at a stage. Um, so that was a brand play and performance marketing play at the same time. Yeah, I guess when I think of brand marketing, and I'm not a fucking expert, but I, I just think of stuff that evokes an emotion rather than a sell. Yeah, and yeah. it's a long and, and because of that emotion and association. Like your fucking when you say that sort of campaign, so it's memorable. Like memorable a, like this eighties movie I've done. I guess yeah. is a fucking that is brand marketing. To so be fair. I think on one of our new brands that it's going to be in the fragrance niche as well. So that's going to be more of a brand play. Yeah, because the the hair the higher AOB can sort of combat that. Yeah, I think I think beyond a point, like you have to lead with brand equity, and then the performance catches up to that, and like yeah. you need the brand equity in order to make everything else work. But it's like when is that point that point will differ for every brand yeah um, like you're going to need a lot more brand equity because your offer is a lot more complex and there's a lot more like trust involved with the purchase I think again skincare is a good example of this like brand equity is massive in skincare because you don't just have to convince someone that the cost of your product is worth it you have to convince the risk of switching from their current skincare routine it's worth that risk of making that jump so therefore you have to have like a trust and brand equity play that kind of makes the perceived value of your product exceed those two things, the cost and the cost and the actual risk of switching. I think a, a large part of every consumer confidence is a placebo effect, whereas it plays into word of mouth, it plays into influencer marketing, it plays into the price, it plays into how good your packaging is. A large part of it is a placebo play. Um, you know like your packaging looks is on point so naturally before a person and it's funny because we we ran this last year um, that was about 12 months ago so we switched from um, Hermes to um, Royal Mail Track 24 so everything goes out to Track 24 Um, our returns rate was sitting about 2% when we were with Hermes we switched everything to Royal Mail 24 so customers were getting instead of waiting 4 days for, for an order they were getting it next day and our returns rate halved, but reviews based on product quality also halved, also doubled, sorry. Yeah. So customers thought our product was better, better just because they had the Amazon effect of receiving it faster. It's like, that's, that's an example of- Yeah, under- for, wait a minute. So that makes me think, we've switched to Royal Mail 24 in the past week. Don't tell people. Which is no, £1.40 yeah, so, so, more expensive. We haven't mentioned it. Yeah. But like, I'm a bit of me saying, oh, it's more expensive, but- probably worth it so yeah, that, that's just for the returns so potential 
change. It's kind of it's an example of like what you did there was an example of under promise and over deliver. Yeah, which you which everyone the opposite to most brands or something. Like everyone applies that really heavily to service based businesses, but not that many people apply it heavily to brands. I'm a big yeah, believer of rating the customer's happiness between one to ten. So naturally, say for example, the customer's happiness is five, right? Product's late by two days. Customer happiness is now three. They open your product. Your product's okay, so it goes up to four. But if your product, if the customer's product happiness is five, receives the parcel two days early. Now it goes up to seven. They open the product and it's still only a one. Mm. The difference is a customer happiness level of four and eight just based on how they got the parcel. And I'm a big believer. Like Part of the reason why I love Represent is because I order it and I get it next day. Yeah. Like next two days, it's three so days. Quick. I reckon I spent five grand on Represent. Yeah. You spent about five grand on Because I used to buy from them in 2016 oh. before it was cool. 17,000 yeah. on Represent. 17K. <laughs> I mean, I've never actually checked, but yeah, it tells you your fucking prestige. Oh. Um, but I think you can oh, apply. Yeah, it is a lot. I think you can, <laughs> it's like B two B SaaS. Yeah. <laughs> I think you can apply like a an under promise over deliver mentality to ecom brand, and like not enough people do. Like for example, if you can if you improve your shipping times, maybe you should maybe you should just test not telling people, but just exceeding their expectations. So keeping if you get next day delivery as standard. Maybe just keep your shipping times as two to four days, but then everybody gets it next day. And yeah. everybody's just like, holy shit, I expected this in four and days. And you can also split now. test increasing the product cost by the one pound extra you yeah. pay. Yeah. Just, just like, absorb They wouldn't know it's that, but the perception no. of the experience would be better. It's like, well, yeah, perception is everything in, in that sense. And like, they're going to remember that. They're going to remember the experience of getting that quicker and probably tell people about it, even if it's just the partner and be like, that. that's how like, that, that word of mouth spreads. Well, our, our product before then, our time to second purchase, which is something that I, I believe in heavily from, from a, a gifting product, our, our time to second purchase was 19 days. We swapped to track 24, our time to purchase, our time to second purchase halved to nine days. Nine straight, days. Straight away. Yeah. Just by exceeding expectations, yeah. Which is just huge. Um, perceived value and, expect- and exceeding expectations are two big things that you can prioritise yeah. never really thought about that with shipping that's a good point like how, how many so you don't need to tell everybody everything like just <laughs> yeah like we do we still do the thing, thing you know we stay yeah, standard shipping for two ninety nine. fast shipping is four ninety nine. A, a majority of people still choose the fast shipping but everything gets sent out at the same time now don't get me wrong in terms of process time the ex- express always gets processed first so if we're really busy like black friday we'll process the express orders first but they all get sent on the same service of track 24 yeah another thing i was thinking earlier is because we do free uk shipping mm-hmm. just for everything right now do you reckon that's a bad idea should i would there be more leverage in doing free for subscribers for example and then you push that if that's Maybe, your play yeah. but uh, Maybe, yeah. it's one of the, it's one of the things to ab test like it's, it's yeah it's um there's some A-B tests where, where we've thought are going to be clear winners. Like, for example, um, floating CTA bar on product pages. Like, Yeah, it just didn't work. That was, in our heads, was like, right, that's a fucking no-brainer. Why are we not doing it? A-B tested it, and it dropped CTR by, like, 3%. You just use Google uh, Automats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah I, don't so know if, I don't know if I would change that, because, like, thinking about your products, like, what, what do you My need? logic was, and I've always been pissed off when brands in the UK try and charge me for shipping. It's not my fault you happen to be online. Yeah. Like, you sh- you're paying for the product. It needs to be delivered, so it should be free. That I was think, my logic. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard for you because usually what I would recommend would be have a three, free shipping threshold of something. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But only was that's what I used products. to do with Midnight City and shit. But then, are you going to force people into buying two bags at once? Yeah, because it's not a product that lends itself yeah. to... That's what I was about to say. Unless you've got, like, more than two or three SKUs, which you don't yet. I feel like for you, like, when you're trying to convert those first-time customers, like, what you're trying to do, you're trying to reduce the friction so that they can try the product, and then you're trying to have an instant... Yeah, well, I mean, sample pack is the most common question we get, so yeah. I, I still need to do that. So like, I, I did have those on order... Then it turned out the supplier fucked up the packaging because it was too small to get the same effect on the touch. And I didn't want to do a matte packet. Yeah. It's like, how do you... Maybe I should still do it. So, like, for you, for you, it's like, how do you decrease the friction so that people are more willing to try the product? And then how do you make sure that they have a perceived, like, real or perceived, in, like, benefit as soon as they take that product? That then they make them yeah. want to buy again? Like, would you really... like? From your point of view, would you really want the impact of negative reviews on a on a customer that's only paid ten pounds to try the product? You know, it's not the same. It's not the same. That's the, yeah, that's the flip side of it. I do think that yeah, the risk in sample packs is like whether people have committed to it as much. I don't know. So it's for six a, months, instead of sample packs, we we're just giving out a fifty percent discount to people that asked. It was better than not having them, but I've stopped doing it. Because yeah, people started telling each other, if you comment on Instagram, you'll get 50% off. So then every comment was, where's my discount? And mm. we just said, not doing it anymore. It's not bad. I mean, yeah, like it's just, it's weird. Like it's, in the early days of the brand where, where I was still doing the customer service, I found that massively. It was where when customers were asking for free like samples and then you were saying, no, look, here, you pay for the, the sample, but here's a free shipping code. Like they tended to be the ones that fucking gurned about fuck everything. Yeah, yeah. like they're gurning that they um, yeah. were out when Roy Mill came. Like, yeah, yeah. Obvious. Like they're gonna, they're gonna. If they, if it can't fit through your letterbox and you haven't put a safe place, they're gonna leave you a card. Yeah, they're the most likely to have like the ones that are gonna leave you negative. It's same as an agency client. The agency clients that haggle you down 80, the most, like are the ones that are the ones that are gonna be a fucking nightmare. The ones that pay the least are usually the ones that are the biggest problem. Yeah. Whereas the ones that pay the pay the best are like, oh, there's my report, sick, spend some more money. Like, yeah. It's the same yeah. with people. Like the ones that haggle you down are usually inherently just difficult people to deal with. Yeah. So I I think like, yeah, I would just try and reduce the friction to people to actually try the product on the front end, um, and then just have give them a great experience and have a perceive like increase your perceived value of that through other methods. Um. But yeah. Yeah, fuck. I'm gonna test that. That was our bit. That was our. That was definitely our needle mover in terms of growth. And our sort of, I would almost call it a hack because yeah. it was. Now obviously we're at a level where it's like, well, do we need that? Do we need the that cost? Because it is fucking dear. Like it's it's a lot dearer yeah. than try twenty four. But then you think, well, it's only a pound. Yeah, it's worth it. And an average order value of of you know thirty pound. It's like all you need is like what one of the thirty customers to. Again. order again and that's covered you know yeah I think your biggest play is community I've told you this multiple times I've said this you know one thing I noticed over Black Friday and it really pissed me off because I thought I'd done the wrong thing is Athletic Greens have never done a sale and I'm obsessed with that brand now because yeah, every fucking investor call I say I'm trying to be the next Athletic Greens or Huel but Athletic Greens more because I love the simplicity of it yeah. they didn't do a sale over Black Friday they don't need to. and fucking Recharge told me they probably shouldn't have told me they have 300,000 active subscribers paying 89 a month. So do the maths on that. It's like... It's a SaaS company, isn't it? I'm one of them and I've never fucking tasted it. They're like seven what, it's like 26 million a month. Mm-hmm. 300 million a year in subscriptions. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, that's why they're worth 1.2 billion, probably more now. 
Yeah. What did you run from Black Friday? I think it was retarded. I did a fucking subscription only for a week and it was basically half price in the first month. Is that so bad? I mean, we got a fuckload of new subscribers, like two and a half thousand new subscribers, which was more than doubling the previous entire amount. Not... But then, I, I, but then I churn went really high after Black Friday. Say, not enough brand owners do and analysis post Black Friday on LTV of those people they acquired. I know it's straight Friday. away on Skio, which we're currently because using. Because it's like... That churn went up. Like, cause, so once we stopped the offer, we're getting like 300 subscribers a day or whatever. We, we, we didn't really spend much on Black Friday because we've got no fucking stock, but that's not the point. But then churn just went yeah, way up in the, in the two weeks after. But it did it go up as high as losing all of them? No, it's still like a net, a net benefit. So like, not enough for now but see yeah. I, 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 I refuse but then I to thought believe. because the thing with subscriptions is because those people got in at 29 a month it wasn't quite half price that would piss off everyone paying 39 a month mm-hmm. so my theory is a lot of people cancelled that were paying 39 during the offer and jumped on resubscribed but, but you're not really it's not really discounting because all you're doing is discounting the first month so all you're all, but, but yeah. I'd love to see the, the yeah. cut in CPA versus the £10 discount on the front end it yeah, was your yeah. CPA not ten point cheaper? It is oh, more. Yeah, yeah but more it, than it, that. But it, yeah, but your product cost is the same. Your fulfillment cost is the same. Yeah, and there's a massive. But brand. that doesn't matter because your, your CPA is you're taking ten point off your CPA and taking it or sorry, taking ten point off your CPA and taking ten ten point off your AOV. It's there, a it's a direct correlation. It, it is to a degree, but it's also like there's brand equity to consider. There's contri- like LT. Yeah, yeah so LT- basically, also I wasn't like, sure if it was the right move, but I, I did it. There's so. also the LTV of those people compared to the LTV of people who pay at full yeah. price. There's no way they'll be the same. Like people don't consider contribution margin enough over Black Friday. Like what is contribution margin? I sound so retarded saying that because I've heard a few people pump that around. It might be a different way of saying the same thing. But when you say contribution margin, what do you mean? Have you just said oh, a big word? It doesn't know what it means. Because <laughs> when, when you say contribution margin, my perception of that, and I got caught on a fucking call in the best of the day, I said, sorry, I don't know what you mean by contribution margin. I don't know if we're talking about the same thing. I thought he meant the margin left, just basically the gross margin after products and fulfillment. What's the margin that you can afford to spend he's, on CAC? He, oh, he's looking up right now. I'm not, I'm getting a phone call from Lucas. Sorry. Um, I've got six phone calls. From I know, I, I, would, I would question whether or not customers actually lower the perceived value of the brand. He's got to go in two minutes. It's been a rushed uh-uh. podcast. Over, I would question whether or not consumers actually lower the brand awareness or brand perception over Black Friday. I think all brands are allowed a sale over Black Friday without yeah. ruining... Because they, they don't associate it with the sale of the brand. They associate it with the sale of the time of year. So they're not going to buy over that period unless you've got a sale. Yeah, true. You know, or, you know, what's that? You've got that customer's attention over Black Friday with your ad, right? That you've got shown, but the first thing they're thinking of, oh, it's Black Friday. Where's their sale? And then you've lost them because they're, you know, they're not yeah. interested in your product, but they want to go with a competitor because it's there's going to be a sale with your competitor. Yeah. You know, we're, we were lucky over Black Friday that our sale was bigger than every other competitor's. You know, the closest competitor offered... Um, Buy one or buy two get one free. Where ours, ours was simplistic. Buy one get one free. Um, so, you know that's a net positive for us because, you know the customers expect that from us. That's okay. I don't. You know I'm not really in a decision where they're gonna. They they don't care that we offer the buy one get one free. They're not gonna assume that we're lower quality, because our trust partner views say otherwise compared to competitors. You know. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think, yeah. Not people. Have you found the Google result for what his contribution no, was? I, I don't want to butcher the, the explanation of it. And I, like, I, I can waffle an explanation. It's it's like the contribution market margin is like your the, the, the revenue attributed by a sale minus the variable cost. So the variable right, cost yeah. would be able to spend slash fulfill, like anything that's variable basically. So if you decrease the price of a product and then even if your variable cost remain the same but usually increase over Black Friday because you spend more then the contribution margin decreases because you're selling the product for less and you're spending more through, through but not your CPAs but not if, yeah, I guess so um, I might have butchered that to be honest I, I usually will waffle that um, <laughs> and you don't yeah. get questioned on it <laughs> I don't get questioned on it uh, but I, I think the, the fundamental thing is a lot of people do enough analysis around the customers they acquire over that yeah. period and whether they're actually worth acquiring for a higher cost and selling a lower price product. It's like some people, and, and I don't believe this whole narrative of you should never run a sale. Yeah. You, you should you should fundamentally probably do some offers, especially like US-based offers, they pop. But if your brand is not aligned to do that, Athletic Screens didn't run one, for example, that's perfectly yeah, aligned with their brand. that was interesting. Um, then you've got to think that through because a lot of people tend towards becoming busy fools over that period of making the same amount of net profit but selling yeah. five times as many units, yeah. it's like five times and as many then customers. The, and then they, that's okay if the LTV, f- like from that, becomes worth it. But a lot of the time, it, it probably won't. Obviously, the LTV push you wouldn't know yet because yeah, it hasn't hard. been thirty days since yeah, that seal. We did quite a lot of analysis over it last year, and there's a lot of brands that didn't benefit from it. Um, but depends depends on the ecosystem you got set up. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, oh, yeah. He's sinking that seven pound mile back. You've got to go for the community play next year, though. Like, have you ever tried doing podcasts? Podcasts, the sponsorships? No, but I was thinking this the other day because yeah, you'd smash I originally converted on Athletic Greens from um, Huberman Lab. Yeah, I did as well. Yeah, I actually straight up converted from that, and then I got hit loads of times after that on Instagram which I've never seen him before I bet that ROI on that human podcast investment is ridiculous because yeah. he's like the perfect person like authority yeah, to the max authoritative yeah and like, and like just massive literally reach. a Stanford scientist on health and well not a neuroscientist he knows everything he, he, yeah he's he a, does the <laughs> Messiah Google human <laughs> so funny he's such a meathead as well yeah <laughs> a meathead in this black I watch him and, and um, Friedman Friedman a lot, yeah. yeah. Lex Friedman. I like Friedman. I also like Rogan. Rogan's funny. It just goes to show with this shit, like, consistency of podcasts, how you build an audience. And obviously good content. Humans, humans off the back of ridiculously good content and yeah. well-presented, well-delivered, well-structured. Like, he, he came from nowhere. He grew really fast Rubber over a period of, like, 18 months. I thought he'd been around like 10 years. He probably has, but like his, probably his wrong. point of becoming big was, yeah, people have always been around longer than you think, aren't they? Same with the Midnight Pod. We'll go from, we've been sat on like five to six K subscribers for about five years. I mean, well, one year. Then we'll go yeah, to fucking five million overnight. Um, That's the plan. Yeah. What's the final question I was asking these pods? I've probably already had an answer from fucking... We asked it last, we asked it last... Well, it's so cliche, but I ask it every time now. I think I have to find a new cliche to go with from like next week, but it's not you getting in trouble. You've got to fucking leave. I'm not invited to the Christmas party. I've got no Christmas parties this year because not my Christmas party. I haven't fucking invited you to. I would have invited you to mine, but it's already been. Yeah. Well, 
next year. Um, three bits of advice to your 18 year old self knowing what you know now. Also, um, I feel like, how old are you? 27. You definitely have, you're definitely wiser than the average 47 year old. Yeah. Like you're just like a, a wise figure. <laughs> Do you know what I think? Yeah, definitely. Like when I first met you, I thought you were like 35. Got pure dad. Is that the hairline or? No, it's not, <laughs> I don't know. I, I just feel like, I, I often feel like I'm like a 16 year old kid that's in like a fucking 27 year old's body now. And I look got, around and there's kinds that are my age that are clearly just like. You've got pure dad energy. Me? <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah. I, I'm like struggling to be a dog dad. <laughs> like, anyway. I think the first one would definitely be um, give up responsibility a little bit faster. Um, be in control of the sort of being controlled doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be overseeing everything. Um, what we sort of we learned, you know, if we put the uh, SOPs in place, you can sort of manage it from afar. Um, I think the third one would be just put your head down and just enjoy, enjoy things. I think naturally, if you have a problem, think about it in the way, is it going to be here in five days? Probably not. Is it going to be here in five weeks? Probably not. So why are you stressing about stuff that hasn't happened? Um, and that sort of eat my own words because the last three months have been the most stressful I've ever been in business. Um, we were days away from running out of stock like yeah. seven times eight times so like but yeah we at the, the silver line is we got through it anyway so and we've had the best Q4 we've ever had times four um, and yeah just in, if you're not enjoying the process you'll get bored of it eventually so you have to enjoy the process enjoy the process not the goal yeah process over outcome yeah and the last year has definitely been all about pushing out everything that I don't like to do in business and doing everything that I do like and it's been a lot more enjoyable apart from working with Ollie it's a bit it's tough. it's tough jarring as he says <laughs> yeah <laughs> I was going to say I'll ask you that but I asked you that at the end of the last episode and mm. no one wants to hear that again no I've not got that many insights <laughs> he shares them all on Twitter just, just uh, his know. personal brand team shares it on Twitter I'll <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, fucking hell. Have you? Yeah, shit. Right, I guess with, with that said, um, on that bombshell, we'll wrap up the episode. Is it 52 or 53? It's 53, 53. I think. But, I, but I, I was really pissed off myself that I originally never managed to do the 52 in a row. I got yeah. to 48 in a row, I think Next it was, year. and I took a strange four-month hiatus, and then, like, sort of hiatus, two months, then two months. You needed those four months to yourself just to grow. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. better than ever. Exactly. <laughs> to end, not to hijack, is like, January we've got a lot of guests, sponsors, structure, more. It's all coming. It's all coming in hot. There's a lot. There's a lot, yeah, there's a lot of guests in January. I can't wait to see your new sponsor. Yeah, no. It's Sponsored like, by... One small um, fulfillment company in Jack Ireland. Fulfillment. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to chuck the fucking link in this episode just to provide more value to the sponsor. Yeah. Two. Yeah. Right, cheers for watching. Subscribe to the pod. Let's fucking go. See you in the next episode. Peace.